Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Alan Kerbsley, former professional player and professional manager. Alan, I wonder when you're standing on the touchline managing a visiting team at Old Trafford, and there's 60-odd thousand people there, and, and you're in the heat of the battle. What, what's kind of going through your mind? <laughs> well, I think, uh, like most clubs, it, it, you know, it, it's surviving. Yeah. You're going to Old Trafford. I mean, that fear factor when Fergie was there was for everyone to see. You know, no one really got anything at Old Trafford. Uh, and when I played, no one ever got anything at Anfield. Mm. You know, the Sooness and Dalgleishes of this world and Rush. So, so you know, you, you, when you go to these uh, big clubs... Obviously, you've got to make special arrangements, I would call it. You know, you have to make special arrangements uh, for when you play the top four or five clubs in the Premier League. You have to, mm. uh, unless you're one of them. Yeah. And even even they make special arrangements when they're playing each other. Mm. We've seen Chelsea and, and uh, you know, go to Old Trafford without a centre-forward, haven't we? Mm. You know, so... But as, as, as a newly promoted side with Charlton and uh, when I first went into West Ham, struggling a little bit... Uh, you know, it, there, there is a fear factor there, but you've got to try and overcome that because if the players, if the players sense that, especially during the week, when you when you're building up to the game, that uh, perhaps it's all a little bit too negative, uh, it can have an adverse effect. And how present are you in that in that moment? I mean, is it, when you look back on it now, when you, when you've managed away at these big big teams, can you remember the moments? Can you remember how how you reacted to certain things, or are you just very much sort of in the moment and it's a blur now looking back on it? No, no, I can remember most things. You know, yeah. if if you if you nudge me, and you know, I always remember our first season uh, at Charlton at uh, going going to Old Trafford, for instance, and I think we went one up. Mark Kintella scored. Ended up getting beat four one, but uh, we went one nil up, mm. and it was a fantastic moment for everybody. But uh, I remember sitting in the dugouts there because you know I normally sat upstairs for the first half of a game. I like to watch it. That's so you could see more. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't want to come in at half time and, and perhaps criticise a player uh, because I'm watching it at, at, at ground level and I haven't actually seen what had gone on. Mm. You know, I'd, I'd, when you're upstairs, you can see a lot more, obviously. But at Old Trafford, I decided to to sit in the dugouts because they're raised. Yeah. And I just remember a ball being swung out to, to Giggs and he, he brought it down on his chest 
and controlled it on the halfway line. And, and Stevie Brown, my right back, he won't he won't complain about this. He went and closed him down, and he was about seven yards off him, which fair enough, you know, yeah. closed him down. But he stayed seven yards all the way into the box. <laughs> right, okay, right. When I did want him to engage him at some stage, <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. And that was, you know, just like a little bit of fear, you know. I mean, as you say, the players know who they're playing against, so they should do. And yeah. uh, Steve knew that if he got too close, then Giggs was going to be a lot quicker. Um, but as I say, when you're playing them top sides, you do have to make some special arrangements. Yeah, you mentioned half time there. What's your job? At, what do you see? What do you see a, cho- a top level manager's job at half time being? I mean, Glenn Hoddle famously said half time is a time to create positive energy. Uh, do, you, do you think is it too short a time to be sorting detailed things out, or what, no, what do you, no, how no, do you approach no. it? No, as I say, you can't you can't give the players too much information. You know, it's just going to go over their heads, and, and, and especially uh, before a game. But at half time, you want to get perhaps the points across that you need to get across. And I'd always uh, talk to Mervyn Day, my assistant, outside the dressing room. Hmm. Let the players go in. I would never really go in there and, and, and start straight away. Let them perhaps see the physio, get a drink, you know, hmm. maybe even have a little chat between themselves. And then come in and, and then you've got, you know, I think you've got three or four minutes to, to, to have your say and it may be, just individuals, it may just be it might be a department of the team. Mm. Uh, it's not as I say, it's not always negative. Um, you know, you could be you could be losing one nil. It ain't because you're defending. It's because you haven't done enough going forward. You know, yeah. so so. But you've got to be honest, and um, you know, you you <clears throat> can't be seen to be picking on certain people. Mm. You know, and uh, you've got to have the picture. And as I said, you know, it's no good me walking in at half time when I haven't actually seen what had gone on. You know, now the technology is fantastic. The manager can see again and again, you know, before he gets in the dressing room, he can see because of laptops and, and everything else exactly what's gone on. So mm. perhaps it's not the centre-half's fault. It may be because the midfield players let someone go mm. and et cetera, et cetera, and the build-up. So, But I think three or four minutes to be concise, uh, to be clear, and, and, and as you say, even in negative times, to be as positive as you can. Mm. And you, I mean, you're obviously a good player as well, but you started off as a manager as quite a young man, 34-ish or so, I think. And, and of course, you were able to learn on the job and stayed at the Charlton for quite a long time. How how much easier did you find it as you as you became older to, to, to become a manager? Because clearly at 30, were you 34 at the time? 34. I, yeah. Actually, uh, you know, I, I became a, a player manager, if you like. Mm. And that was a lot easier. It was a lot easier for me uh, because... I could still go out there on the training ground with the players, so I still had the respect. It was me and Stevie Gritt, mm. who was both contracted as players at Charlton. Steve Gritt, very highly respected coach, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, Lenny Lawrence left the club, and I was basically first-team player coach, and Steve was a reserve-team player coach. Mm. So we had the players on board, and, uh, you know, we had the team spirit. Um, so it wasn't so much of a problem for us. I think we hit the ground running, done fantastically well now. First season at Upton Park, we'd left the Valley, gone to Sellers Park, left Sellers Park, gone to Upton Park. Mm. And we should have been there a couple of months and we was there for a season and a half. And, uh, but we came seventh that year. So we hit the ground running. So was it instant the respect the players have for you? Because, I mean, you were a player, so you were one of them, but then yeah. you've, you've, been, you've been upped and now you're sitting above them. There was no players at all there who had a problem with that? No, no. And I think because, uh, you know, so recently we've been one of them. Um, mm. it's a little bit different uh, also I think uh, as coaches you take your first training session and players they either get you or they don't or yeah. they're having you or they're not you know yeah, that yeah. sort of thing yeah. so uh, we was okay it's just I think I think it's a little bit harder uh, as a manager coming in to a club mm. and then you know you're not going to be able to demonstrate unless you're hodl and etc etc yeah. but you're not going to be able to demonstrate what you want uh, by by showing the players physically, hmm. so you've got to show them in in, in the coaching etc. So you, you know, haven't got like a DVD of your greatest hits as a player <laughs> that you can play to them. <laughs> no, but I've, you know, whenever I've been asked advice, um, especially young managers, is to go and get as many coaching sessions under your belt because you've got to walk into one day, you've got to walk into uh, a training ground, and you're going to have twenty odd players, uh, and you've got to make sure that that that, that session. Uh, run smoothly, mm. 
And by the time you get to the end of it, they've understood what you're looking for, what you're trying to achieve. And and if you haven't got that experience under your belt, uh, it's going to be very, very difficult. So all the young managers now out there, I'm looking at, you know, uh, Frank Lampard and Stephen Gerrard and, you know, two of my ex-players, mm. Scotty Parker and Lee Bowyer, mm. um, who have all done that coaching while I was playing. Yeah, uh, they've all, A lot of them have, have decided that, you know, that's what they want to do mm. and managed to to go on the courses and, mm. and gain that experience. Uh, I wasn't that lucky because it suddenly fell in my lap, mm. if you know what I mean. You know, Lenny Lawrence left the club and went to went to Middlesbrough. And we, the, to be brutally honest, the club was in such a financial state that uh, me and Stevie Grit was um, under contract as players. Mm. So they just went, well, you might as well take it. Right. So that's how we got it. Right, okay. There was no one else to do yeah. it, basically. Well, they couldn't afford anybody else, I don't think. And yeah. uh, they couldn't sack us either. No, did you, you think know? you were going to be there for 15 years? No. No, <laughs> no, no. no. Uh, you know, uh, but we were grateful for the opportunity because uh, mm. you've got to be in the right place at the right time mm. to a certain extent. Sure. And I was. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, obviously it's the best thing that, that happened to me. And... I asked Gordon Strachan about um, how much it, it matters that you're a player to become a manager and how long you've got to dine out on the fact that you're a player. And he said you've got about 20 seconds of your first team talk. That's absolutely. Or, yeah. or 20 seconds of your first training session. Yeah, because they'll uh, know yeah. whether you can do it or not. Yeah. No matter if you've been a fantastic player, mm. uh, this is a different situation completely now. And, uh, you know, you've, as I said earlier, you've got to have your... And a, I know it's a new word now, philosophy. Hmm. And there's lots of new words that have come into the game since I left it, but um, you've got to get across what you want from the players. Yeah. So uh, you would have had a philosophy, though. You would have, it's just an idea of how you want to play and how you want to run the team, right? Yeah, and, and it changes as you go along because yeah, obviously, players and stuff, obviously yeah. when I was at, at Charlton starting off, uh, as I said, we went to Upton Park, it was all about survival. Hmm. And for a lot of years, it was about survival, uh, financially. And and in whatever league we was in, hmm. uh, it got a lot better as uh, we progressed and become more successful. But then when I went went to West Ham, um, the first six months was about survival because hmm. we was in the bottom three. Yeah. But after that, I, you know, I changed and um, wanted to be more aggressive and uh, and more purposeful, if you like, and hmm. um, and and my attitude changed. But hmm. for that first six months, I was in survival mode hmm. and. Uh, it took the players a long time to to perhaps come along with me when yeah. I when I first went into West Ham. Yeah. What sort of? Um, I mean, you obviously managed for a long time, and you had a chance to, I suspect, sort of run the whole thing at Charlton for quite a long time. What kind of environment were you passionate about generating at Charlton? Because you were you were responsible for it all. So, how, mm. what kind of? Because I I think people on the outside like me looking in maybe think of a football team or a football club of that size being quite a masculine, dominant, alpha male kind of environment. But presumably as a manager, you understand Mm. that personalities are different and you have to deal with different people differently. So what kind of environment were you trying to foster? I think the first thing, you know, when we were signing players, when when I first took over with Steve Grit and when I took over on my my own, you know, we was penny pinching and, Mm. you know, I, I remember sitting down with Alan Pardew. We signed Alan Pardew. Me and Stevie Grit um, on a free transfer from from Crystal Palace, and uh, it was one of our first signings. And we was arguing over ten pound, fifteen. Right, pound. okay. Oh, it, you know, because I we had a budget and we had to, you mm. know, had to stick to it. The club was going bust, mm. and then we progressed to signing, uh, you know, the Darren Bent of this world and uh, Danny Murphys and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Before that, Clive Mendonca was a record signing, and it, you know, we were signing players and and perhaps. Going into the negotiations, um, we wasn't so, so aggressive with the mm. finances, etc. And, and you can lose that perspective. Mm. But I always felt um, whenever we went for a player, and once we got him in a room, I felt really confident we weren't going to lose him. Mm. That, that the player was going to sign for us because mm. I think uh, for a long while at Charlton they understood a lot of the players understood where we come from mm. and uh, what we was about and uh, and what you had to do to 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 be part of it. Mm. It was no good coming into to Charlton, even, even if we broke our transfer record and uh, you thought that uh, you was better than everybody else and mm. uh, it, it was... So it was, you'd, you'd be you'd looking at aspects of a player's personality yeah. and would you ever swerve a player because you didn't think yeah. he had the character you wanted? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And uh, How would you tell that though, just by meeting them? No, by asking, like asking most people around. asking around, but yeah. then, you know, when you're trying to sign, for instance, uh, some of the foreign players mm. that become available... 
then that's a little bit more difficult. Yeah. You know, how do you find out about, you know, their family life or mm. their, mm. their, you know, their characters. But, um, when, when I was, uh, as I say, the early, early days at Charlton, if you see, if you look at the signings we made, certainly in the Premier League, um, mainly British, a bit like Sean Dyche is doing at, at, at Burnley. Yeah. And if we, and if I did sign a foreign player that was already in the Premier League, mm. I didn't go and get someone from abroad that... that well, because there's too many variables, you didn't know whether they were going to set No, that was, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was all, already acclimatised. Yeah. Uh, so I signed Klaus Jensen from, from Bolton, mm. Mark Fish from Bolton, mm. uh, Emily Ryerson from, mm. from Ipswich. Mm. You know, people that had already been in the Premier League mm. or uh, knew who we were. So it was too much of a gamble for you to grab someone from overseas? Yeah, yeah. yeah. At the time, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Well, and... Is is there is there an element of a, of a manager who needs to be a, a kind of psychologist as well? You need to because you said earlier when you talk about half time team talks, you wouldn't necessarily make it too personal about a player or or whatever. Would you have an understanding that certain players wouldn't respond very well to being criticised, or maybe you'd have to take them to one side and talk to them privately, or or but other players would it would give them a kick up the arse they needed. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but 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 you know, you, you obviously know the players that you've got, and if they can. They can take an air dryer or not, or, mm. or, or you, you've got to put your arm around them. But, you know, sometimes, and you hear this a lot from players, they want to see someone called out. So you think if, it's, if bigger, it, it's better for the overall group for that yeah, to happen? If, if, yeah, if, if he ain't doing it, you know, if he's not doing it, and uh, it's no good uh, molly coddling them, mm. and, uh, you know, if, if if you've called out a couple of others, but there's certain ways of doing it. Mm. Um, and it, it, there's, you know, some people you can be really aggressive with, and, and, and some people you do have to leave leave well alone and uh, perhaps you, you, you say in a different tone but then get one of the coaches to go over there afterwards and mm. say you know he's let you off there a little bit you know you know what he's on about didn't you and right. you, know, you can say to players listen you've got 10 minutes or you're off you know? right okay but then you go out there for the second half and someone else is having an absolute nightmare <laughs> okay, so you, you forgot about that one you can't, <laughs> yeah, you can't. Yeah. so you've got to be very yeah. careful but um you know, I've come unstuck a couple of times, you know, criticised the player and, um, you know, it wasn't wasn't all his fault, etc. And, and lost him for the second half. So, you know, you've you got to be careful. I mean, it helped when they changed the old subs and you can have a few more subs. <laughs> right, okay, yeah, give you a bit more flexibility. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you, how did you used to view confrontation then? Did you used to wake up in the morning and think, oh God, I've got to speak to so-and-so today and I'm not really looking forward to it? Or did you just see it as part of your job? No, I saw it as part of the job and um, truth be known, perhaps you can ask her. A few of the few of the ex players, I, I probably got involved a bit too much. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, just because you're so passionate about it. Yeah, because uh, you know, you feel that as a manager, you're responsible for everything, and you aren't. Mm. You know, mm. you think you're responsible for the for the whole thing that goes on on a Saturday and uh, the result, and and you and you're not. You mm. know, but you, you feel that weight on your shoulders, and I think also uh, the expectations. Certainly in the Premier League, once you get there, um, not to be relegated, and you hear, you know, the terrible stories of like getting relegated and grand staff having to be sacked sure. and this and that. And you're you, very aware of that, yeah. Are you you feel the whole weight of the, you, yeah. you do, yeah. You feel the whole weight of that. Michael uh, Calvin wrote a book called "Living on the Volcano," and we had him in here, and he did a ramble meets with us, and um, he went around all the different. A, well, a lot of different managers working in England, and um, the pressure and the stress they're under, particularly at the lower level. Um, did you ever seriously worry that you were getting too stressed or that it was too bad yeah. for your health? Yeah, and uh, uh, I'm on the uh, LMA committee. Yeah, and we we take that very seriously, and mm. uh, we're talking to to all the managers, not just the top managers, but we're talking to all the managers mm. um, in every league to to look after themselves a bit better, mm. mentally and physically, diet wise, mm. and uh, you know you often. I, I, I just read an article at the weekend, Lee Johnson at Bristol City, mm. you know, where completely, you know, the whole things took over a little bit and, mm. you know, he's saying he's put a bit of weight on and he finds it perhaps difficult to... To, to switch uh, off. To switch off and yeah. have conversations and, and be normal once you get home. And, mm. and you can't be normal because the phone's going all every five minutes mm. uh, and it's either... Uh, the physio that something's happened or an agent wants to talk to you or, or the chief executive wants to talk to you or the chairman wants to talk to you or et cetera, et cetera. And, or the press have got, you know, they've found, they've heard something and they want to, you know, so mm. it's very, very difficult to switch off. And, you know, you know, before mobiles were, you know, that big, you know, you'd have two phones in your house. Mm. I think a lot of managers have three or four phones, one for the family, 
one for agents, mm. perhaps one for the club. Yeah. You know, just to make sure there's always available. Just make sure yeah, that the, the one's, one's ringing and, yeah. you know, oh, I'm not going to pick that one up for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But obviously, uh, yeah, that's the way it is. But I think the way the game is going, certainly in the, in the Premier League, that uh, a lot of uh, the workloads took off. There's yeah. a lot more of, uh, as you say, you've got sporting directors doing They have that. a bigger team now, don't they? You've got yeah. people organising the scouts. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean Pep Guardiola's team is about 21, 22 people now. Yeah, I remember me I remember me and Stevie Grit on a on a Wednesday driving to Middlesbrough to watch Middlesbrough play on a Wednesday night. You know, getting home at five in the morning and going into training at eight, yeah. nine o'clock. Yeah. Because we're playing Middlesbrough at the weekend. Yeah. So you, you know, we wanted it. to, hmm. we wanted to make sure that we got everything right and, but, you know, I remember going out to to Barcelona when Bobby Robson was there and he showed us about the training ground and, and whatever after training you know mm. and it was two o'clock and I said what, what's your plans now he said well I'm going home right. I said yeah I know but then what are you doing tonight he said well, I'm, I'm doing nothing Right. I said but well, you know don't you go back to the ground and you know watch you you know assess this or talk yeah. to the he said no other people do that right. I just coach the the team and that's different that's what the difference is about the top top level yeah well yeah. and I think that's what's happening now yeah in the Premier League, not yeah. in the perhaps obviously not in the Championship and League One and League Two, but I think in the Premier League now, uh, at the top level, certainly them sporting directors or um, you know people looking after you know you delegate a lot more now. Mm. Whereas w- when I was coming through, you know I was looking at people like Fergie and 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 etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, that run the whole club. Mm. Uh, yeah, it doesn't now, happen so much now, does it? Oh no, oh no, certainly yeah. not. And I don't know that's, if that's for the good. Yeah, uh, but certainly that's the way we're going. There's just so much more responsibility now, right? The, the marketing-wise, the, the the commercial side of the club, and all that kind of stuff. Particularly someone like Man United, it's like a global phenomenon, isn't it? Yeah, just not even that. I mean, if you're talking about teams that are, are just outside the top four now, you know, like I, 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 I don't want to say who's outside it at the moment, but yeah. if you look on paper, you know, the Arsenal's, the Man yeah. United's, and yeah. etc., Everton's, uh, clubs like that, that you know. The workload of the manager is, I would imagine, is greatly reduced. Not the pressures in terms no. of getting the results, but but certainly the responsibilities. Yeah, yeah, responsibility yeah. to the club. You know, I used to I used to go and watch the youth team mm. on a Saturday morning before a first team game right. because I wanted to find out what the you know yeah. if anything's coming through and, and, and etc. And, and perhaps get a feedback. But I'd imagine a lot of managers now don't even go anywhere near their academy. Yeah, just um, I want to come and talk about. Um, a certain player final in a minute, but but before I do that, because you just mentioned the youth team players there, you've you've seen a lot of football, you've watched thousands and thousands of games and, and looked after and, and observed thousands of players. Something that always fascinates me again as a fan from the outside looking in, when you see a kid, 15, 16 or whatever, how do you, what are you seeing that makes you know he can go on and have a career? Because all those kids at that level, if they're in an academy at the top level at 15, 16, they're all mm. going to have ability. What is it you see in them where you think that guy stands out? Well, obviously, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's technical. Right. I mean, we had Jermaine Defoe at Charlton from the age of 12, I think. And you knew. Mm. I mean, he came through, got pinched off us by West Ham, but that's another story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but as I mentioned two players, now Lee Bowyer. Mm. He knew Lee was going to be a player. So what, because of his drive, because of his mentality, because yeah. of his maturity for his yeah. age, that kind of stuff? Yeah. Uh, you know, just little things. He'd be doing finishing, uh, finishing session. And uh, he'd shoot. Lee Bowie would shoot, he'd go wide, he'd run after the ball. Right. And he'd run all the way back and try yeah. and bunk in the queue to have another go. Right, okay. You know, and yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and I remember Scotty Parker doing something in training and uh, he was still a schoolboy, but he'd come in and we we took him into, we took him in with the first team. Hmm. You know, we knew he was going to come through. And yeah. uh, although he didn't come through as quick as he thought he was going to come through, but we knew he was going to come through. And I remember Adam Pardo saying, cool, he's a big player. Hmm. You know, so you do. You, have you seen them come into the first team and then crumble because of the pressure's high and they're not the, quite the right character? Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, we let Scott, for instance, was uh, up at Lillyshaw with the likes of Michael Owen and one or two others. Mm. And uh, when he signed for us, um, he could see that players from that that squad playing in their first team. Yeah, and he's forever knocking on the door. Right, and I'm saying, listen. Firstly, you're not ready. I don't think you're ready physically and mentally. Mm. Maybe technically, but I don't think you're ready. Hmm. Secondly, I've got a bit of a problem on my hands here. Look, we're in the bottom six. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to introduce you to that sort of stuff. Hmm. 
Why didn't, why didn't you want to do that? Because you didn't keep it to handle the pressure. No, I didn't want to put him in and then suddenly have to bring him out. Yeah, okay. You know, uh, this, because the, of results. The or, environment's got to be right. Yeah. Okay. So I let him go off <clears throat> on loan to Norwich and he came back a little bit more stronger, a little bit more aggressive. And uh, he knocked on the door and said, oh, you know, when am I going to get a chance? Mm. And at the time I said to him, uh, well, the way you play, you're very very attack-minded at the time, Scotty was, etc. Mm. I can't put you in with Klaus Jensen because mm. it ain't the right mix. Yeah. Uh, I need you. I need you to be a little bit more defensive-minded to accommodate. You know, to, so he went off into the reserves and and played a defensive role and turned himself into one. And but... then knocked on the door. <laughs> okay, him again. And, but then when he came in, I said to him, "You know, when you come in, I expect you to stay in. Hmm. You know, you, you come in not just for five or six games, but you come in and you're physically strong enough and mentally strong enough." to stay in and that's exactly what happened to him do you find that a senior pro in that position would be resentful and make it difficult no I think senior pros know when there's someone coming up around them and behind them yeah that, uh, but surely you get a negative reaction to that sometimes well yeah you may get that, but they they know they know that perhaps this kid's going to come through and take mm. their place it may not be this season but it will be at some stage yeah and they start looking yeah, okay. around, right, you know, okay. yeah, if okay. you know what I mean. And uh, you know, I had a. I always go back to John Lowell when I was when I was coming through at West Ham. Um, you played with some good players in your career, right? Oh, I got I got put in with Billy Bonds and well, Trevor yeah. Brookie yeah. and Graham yeah. Padden, and yeah. uh, you know, I went in for one or two games, came out, etc., then gone right. back in. Um, but in all fairness, you was given a chance then, right? A bit more of a chance, and uh, you know, it's a little bit more difficult now. But you know, as as my time ended at, at West Ham with, with John Lowell, um, you know, and I've said this many times, uh, you know, if John had said to me two and two was four, I'd have said it was five. Right, okay. If he said to me that was black, I would be saying that, that's white. Right. You know, that's the way it was. I was 19, 20. Thought you knew everything, yeah. Should have been playing, weren't playing. And, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. and uh, I often use that with the young players. Um, coming through, look, I've been there. I've yeah. been where you've been yeah and let me tell you you know I moved on and perhaps I shouldn't have yeah okay you know and uh, just be a little bit more patient but that's very difficult now you know for a young player to to accept that is it final question on this kind of young player angle do you think it's possible in your experience for a really shy introverted boy to become a top level footballer yeah you do yeah because once they get out on that pitch that's what matters it's a different different they may be perhaps shy and introvert off the pitch mm. and I think you see a lot of young players now um, not just young players but yeah we're talking young players you know you would see them perhaps walking into a game with headphones on head down mm. you know don't really want to engage mm. and perhaps they're like that off the pitch after training etc uh, and it can be a lonely place for them but can that be hard when it comes to team building trying to get people to knit together as a unit yeah but I think once they're let loose and mm. you know in training or doing the thing they really want to do, mm. um, then their the true selves come out. And I think you're finding a lot of players off off the field, you know, don't trust anybody, uh, don't engage because of the lifestyle they have to live. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or perhaps they get tripped up. You know, there's yeah. lots of them getting tripped up. So mm. you know, they do. Some of them do do uh, lead a lonely life, mm. except when they're doing the thing they really like. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I mentioned earlier we're going to talk about the 98 playoff final. Yeah. Um, presumably a highlight of your, of your career um, people listening will will know that a few weeks ago we had Mickey Gray in here oh hi and uh, he obviously gave his side of the story about, about the 4-4 draw and the penalties it's, it's really interesting to me because clearly that is a, an event that affected him quite badly for quite a long time you know local boy missing that decisive penalty in that moment, presumably you're you're full of joy and looking forward to what's coming next. Do you, when you look back on it now, do you do you feel for for Mickey? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> not at all, because you know that's that's the game. It 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 put us back on the map, Charlton. I should say you do know him, so you, yeah, absolutely. You, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you put, ever to say that? No, no. It put us back on the map. Mm. It put me on the map. Yeah. Uh, Was it the most important part of thing in your career? Do you think? Yeah, because I'll tell you for why. Um, I had four or five players that if we hadn't gone up, I think would have been took off me. Right. And um, the team would have been disintegrated mm. and it would have been another rebuilding job. Mm. And on the day, I mean, I've known Peter Reid since we were 17 in the England youth team together, under 21s, etc. And they were big enough and strong enough to come back from that, mm. which they did the next season. Sure. We wouldn't have come back from that, I don't think. Right. If we would have got beat. So it's a big sliding doors moment for Charlton then. Yeah, I had, I had people after Rufus, Kinsella, Madonka, you know, you name it. They're, mm. they're looking at them and Sean Newton, etc. And, and the players, Danny Mills was me right back. And, you know, it, how do you feel in the game? Because, I mean, you didn't plan for a 4 4. And no. it was crazy. So did you feel completely powerless? It's just one of those days you're just going to have to be in the lap of the guards. I always remember to... talking about half time team talks. I always remember it that, that at half time we were winning 1 0. And uh, Sunderland were very uh, offensive side. Mm. You know, Noel Quinn and Phillips up up top and mm. Nicky Summerby and this one and that one. And I said to the players, look, I think we've got Sunderland exactly where we want them. Not really? being, yeah, you know, if we can keep it tight for, for 10 minutes, they'll open up or they'll make a change and uh, and go for it. And we can, we was a good counter-attacking side and I think we could take full advantage. Mm. But we've got to keep them quiet for 10 minutes. And uh, I've been in the dugout for five minutes into the second half and we were 2-1 down. You know, right. changed, the whole right. thing had changed right. completely. So that was a waste of time. That was, yeah. And uh, were you were you upset about the goals? Were you fuming about the defending? Is there even in your with all your experience? Is there just part of you that says this is football and you can't control was, anything? Yeah, yeah, you can always pick pick things out defensively when you've let let a goal in, and hmm. we did defend poorly for the two. I must yeah. admit, uh, when I see him again, but that's the way it was, hmm. and the atmosphere had changed completely. Uh, you know, I, I then made a couple of changes. I always remember bringing Mark, bringing Mark Bright off, and uh, him moaning his head off, still moaning as he's sitting next to me. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I put Steve Jones on, who was going to run around a bit more and, and, and yeah. whatever. And you know, I, I had Bright's experience uh, in the first sixty odd minutes, and he's a bit grisly. But then we got back in the game too, all you know, and yeah. it, it, it's what happens. And uh, you know, I made a, another change. John Robinson, who had been injured, had been a major player for me. Yeah. John Robinson had been injured into the into the lead up to the final. I managed to get him on, mm. and uh, you know he made a bit of a difference. And uh, you know, uh, Stevie Brown came on and uh, tightened us up defensively. So you know, you make changes, and uh, they all worked on the day. Um, you know, you you couldn't wish much more that. You had probably the best final ever. Oh, I loved watching yeah. it as a neutral. Uh, even love, even love now, it, yeah. when I see see the goals going in, yeah. you know, and then the penalties. Um, How did you plan for penalties? 
Well, it's really interesting because we did have our did have our five because mm. you had thought about that in advance. Yeah, and and we practiced penalties. Mm. Uh, we practice walking from the centre circle. And right. was, you know, it's not the same. But, no, you know, we've done it. But uh, what a lot of people won't realise is that Eddie Walsenholm was the ref, and me and Reedy went into the centre circle, and we had to nominate our first five penalty takers, and then we were out of it. Mm. We actually went back to the dugouts and sat down. Right, but he went to five all. Yeah. So then the players had to start picking who was going to be the next penalty taker. Mm. And I think it, it got to seven or whatever, or six or whatever. Mm. And uh, Eddie Walsenholm turned around to, I think Richard Rufus was in the dug, uh, was in the Richard Rufus, Eddie Yowds, Stevie Jones, and Sean Newton. He, he turned around and went, Come on. Yeah, one of has yeah. got to take a penalty. Yeah, yeah. And I only got told a couple months later. Richard Rufus pushed Sean Newton out of the centre circle. Did he? Yeah. And if you see it again, <laughs> Sean jogs all the way yeah. to the penalty spot because I don't think he'd have made it if he'd have walked. No, okay, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. And I didn't know, obviously, I didn't yeah. know. And, uh, you know, he took his penalty and scored and then Mickey's, I think Mickey's come up and uh, missed these. Mickey said that um, Danny Dicchio, who was a striker, had taken his boots off. Yeah. And all, all which but, obviously don't want to All take but them. refused to take one. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I, I, they're friends now. I think there's, there's, there's no there's no harm done or whatever. But I think at the time he was quite put out by that. Yeah, and and, and as I say, people want to take penalties and people don't. Would you blame a player for not wanting to? Yeah. You would. Uh, no, 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 no. If he doesn't want it, I'd you rather him. I'd rather right, him say okay. it to me. But do you not think they should have a more character about them? And that was that easy for me to judge from the outside. No, no. I think if they're not comfortable, I'd rather have someone going up there who, who's saying, "Look, I want to take that." Even if they're not technically anywhere near as good. Well, I, as I say, I've never seen Sean Newton take a penalty before. <laughs> okay. Um, I suppose all top pro, pros should better strike a ball the back in that for 12 <laughs> Yeah, years. but under that pressure yeah, and, and uh, in a final mm. and the way the game was going mm. and, and once you get to sudden death as well, you know, once you got past 5-5. Five, five. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was an amazing day and as I say, it was it was a massive turning point for us because we got ourselves back to the Valley and we'd lost a generation of fans. Yeah. You know, the seven-year-olds were now 17-year-olds supporting other teams. Yeah. You know, and we needed to get them back yeah. so that they become Charlton fans, and that was the start. I mean, we got relegated the next season. How do, how big was the gap in terms of quality? How how hard did you find it, you and your team, to try and manage in the Premier League? Um, I didn't find it that difficult. We we, we went down on the last game of the season. But the but, mentality must have to totally change. Yeah, I, I tell you, what, just one simple fact: hmm. uh, when you're a newly promoted side, when you win promotion, you win 26 games. Yeah, you probably draw. Draw ten and lose ten or whatever, yeah. you know. But you yeah. win, you win twenty six, twenty seven games. You look yeah. at the the history. Yeah. But to be successful in your first season in the Premier League, you got to win ten. Yeah. So you're thinking you got to win a third of what you won. So your teams almost have to get used to losing and not letting it affect. Them. Oh, you've got. You know you're going to go on a run. When in fixtures come out, you know that you could go for three or four games without picking anything up. Yeah. But when you play against teams that are in and around you, you know you must pick something up. Mm. Um, and that's when people talk about that that sort of scenario and the other major difference and I've been asked this many times what is the big difference between the Championship and the Premier League well let me tell you your team coming up from the Championship your quickest player is probably going to be one of the slowest right in the opposition's team yeah established Premier League sides yeah I've heard, I've heard players for the same it's Bloody the pace this is fast it's yeah. the pace over 10 yards yeah you know it's the pace and, um, you know, you can't bridge that gap mm. in one season mm. or, or even in two. Mm. Um, you know, you have to slowly do that. So, you know, we we done it by the tactics we used, the, the teamwork, the organisation, et cetera, when we're in certain positions. We worked ever so hard. We worked, if you ask my ex-players, we probably worked too hard. Right, OK. You know, it's one of the negatives. I, so I they were tired, were they, you think? Not tired, but it's repetitive and, right. and, and and all right, we've done it, but you have to keep drumming it home, you know, you have right. to keep drumming it home. And as I say, after becoming established, after three or four years, then perhaps your philosophy changes a bit. Yeah, okay. You've, and you, I mean, moving on to, to the West Ham thing, <laughs> I mean, they, they looked destined for relegation when you went in there, but you kept them up and um, you were there for, for a couple of years, or nearly, nearly two years, I think. And, and the reason you resigned is, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here, but the reason you resigned is because you were unhappy with the club's transfer policy. Is that fair? Oh, things, yeah, that was, went, yeah. things that went on. Yeah. And and that was in 2008. Did you ever plan at that point to be out of the game for so long? No. Um, 
But uh, you had a lot to offer. You've managed. I mean, I think you're in the top ten of Premier League yeah. managers in terms of games managed. You managed, I think, almost 800 games or yeah. something like that. It, it seems bizarre. I don't know you very well, so it might be. Mm. I just don't know why. But it, it seems bizarre that you'd be out of the game for such a long time at that point because you'd left a Premier League team. Yeah, and and it was a difficult time yeah. um, because you know I resigned. Managers never resigned. They no. got sacked. Why did you feel like you had to resign? Because I wasn't running the club. I wasn't in charge anymore. Uh, in terms of uh, 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 player recruitment. Mm. And I always felt that if you're responsible for results, mm. then you've got to be in charge of that side of it. Um, unless you go into a club when it's made clear, which we spoke earlier about sporting directors, yeah, it's made clear yeah. that you're not in charge of recruitment mm. and you're just going to coach the team, then fine. You know That's what you've signed up to. But you hadn't signed up to that. I hadn't signed up to that. And um, it was deadline day and we only played three or four games but we were fifth in the league at West Ham at the time mm. and uh, I thought I had a good side but I had quite a few injuries and they wanted to send another player and it just anyway it resulted in me uh, leaving and uh, by the time it was sorted out it took a year um, and you couldn't work anywhere else well yeah if, if something came up but mm. obviously people weren't going to be interested in you if you had something hanging over you like that sure. I think and uh it took a year to sort of, which should never have happened. And uh, Richard Scudamore at the Premier League, I'm glad to see, has, has sorted it out now. It, mm. was, it was a difficult time. I resigned. And not soon after that, Kevin Keegan resigned at uh, uh, Newcastle. Newcastle. yeah. And I think a, year, a little bit later, Martin O'Neill resigned. So suddenly mm. you had managers resigning. Well, mm. it never happened before. Mm. You know, they'd been sacked. So it took a year to sort out. Do you think uh, other managers wouldn't have resigned on principle like that? They'd just stayed there. Yeah. They would have stayed there. But... You know what, West Ham, I was born in uh, Forest Gate, brought up in Canning Town, um, West Ham boy. It was my ambition to, to manage him. Mm. And that's why it was difficult to do what I did. Uh, but I felt a responsibility that if I was in, if I was in, uh, you know, responsible for results, mm. then I had to be, you know, if, if, if I failed, it was because I failed. You had to have the room to be able to do your job properly. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it was a big decision I made and uh, it took a year to sort out. But then after that, um, and it's my fault entirely why I'm not back in football. Mm, okay. Because I was offered situations, offered jobs, um, championship jobs, um, clubs in the Premier League that were really struggling with mm. dozen games left, etc. Yeah. Uh, I was... And I felt with with my record and what I'd done, there was a club out there that I could go in and uh, give it another go and mm. and 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 start a season, you know. And yeah. uh, uh, but I remember Alex saying to me, Alex Ferguson saying to me, "Don't be out too long." And then suddenly I was out for two years. Mm. Then it was a little bit longer, and then I'm not getting offered anything in yeah. terms of uh, where I thought I was going to be at, and. Um, no, his, his advice was right. And, and you often see managers jump back in, jump straight back in, and that's to get back in because once you're out... I don't want to be out of touch. Yeah. You're quickly forgotten. Yeah, okay. And football changes and uh, owners change, chief executives change, hmm. um, and agents are involved and, 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 uh, and they've got their own clients and et cetera. So, you know, when you think, especially in the Premier League now, everyone in the world wants to work there. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so it's so, a world so, market now, isn't it? Yeah. So. so it's difficult to get in there in the first place. And, um, you know, I see I see the British managers now, mainly they've got to win promotion and stay there. Yeah. A um, bit like Sean Dyche, a bit like mm. Chrissy Uton did at mm. uh, Brighton, etc. So it's mu- much more difficult and it become more difficult. So I've then suddenly drifted away from it. And for the first time for a long while, I had time on my hands and I had a yeah. different lifestyle. Yeah. I was doing TV and et cetera, which is obviously not the same, but it keeps you involved. But now I'm out too long. Yeah. Uh, so do you think, know, do you honestly think that's that now? I don't think I'll get offered anything. I don't think, um, you wouldn't have any interest in going somewhere low no, down or anything like that. No, 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 not low down. But if I was asked, I was asked to go into, to Fulham with, uh, Rennie Mullerstein. Yeah. Uh, but that only lasted a month just to, to be a, an advisor as a mentor. Yeah. And then Kit Simons, which lasted a bit longer, but, uh, I was happy to do that sort of role. Mm. Uh, I don't think it'd be a problem if if I went back in. I mean, only if you've been on Mars. And, no, uh, it's the same sport. You know, yeah, and you've yeah. you've lost complete contact. But uh, no, I've been out too long now, and uh, I look from afar, 
And, um, you know, as I said, I'm on the league manager's committee. So if there's any young managers out there that think they need just another voice or another pair of eyes, I'd be happy to, yeah. to, to help them because I know how difficult it is now, especially in your first job, um, to, to, you know, to be successful. And, uh, you know, when I took over my own at Charlton, um, I phoned four or five of the big boys, big managers, and, and, and asked their advice, what they thought. And one of them said to me, you've got to win games. Yeah. <laughs> not, Sounds obvious. Just yeah. win more games than you lose and you'll yeah. be all right. Yeah. And uh, perhaps that's what you've got to do. Around that time, I mean, between the Charlton and, and, and West Ham time, or perhaps a bit before, you've been, you were linked to some very high-profile jobs. I mean, you were linked to the Liverpool job. And I believe you were interviewed for the England job. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, Bobby, and you got a ringing endorsement from Sir Bobby Robson, who said that you were the best equipped candidate to deal with it at the time. Oh, right. Well, how did that? How did that? How did that go? Well, it didn't go particularly well, I don't think, because um, I think myself, Sam, Sam Allardyce. Um, this was in what two thousand six. Yeah, Steve yeah. McLaren, and maybe uh, a couple of others. I'm not sure, but uh, um, I got interviewed by Brian Barwick, but. Uh, I was actually caught being right. interviewed. I interviewed. I met him at my brother's house right. just to just to to have like tea and biscuits, just to say hello. Before is this before you left Charlton? No, I was still at Charlton. No, you there? I was okay. at Charlton, and yeah, uh, yeah. the chairman knew, okay. obviously, but not too many other people. So the first meeting was just to have a chat, just to say hello, and then the second one was going to be like more in depth, where you pitch for the job, etc. Right. And uh, so the first meeting. Uh, yeah, went okay, and we, we had a chat. And uh, I remember, and this is how it is, you know. I was, I was on the Saturday. On the Saturday, I went with a chief uh, European scout, drove to Lille, right, to watch a French game mm-hmm. on the Saturday evening. And the next day, at one thirty, we're playing uh, Middlesbrough mm-hmm. at, at home, a live Sky game. So I was out Saturday night, right, to all hours in the morning. Yeah. And then play, uh, and then had a game on the Sunday. But as we're coming home through the tu- through the tunnel, I got a phone call saying there's an article in one of the papers that you've been caught talking to Brian Barwick, right? And it's all going to blow up the next the next morning, which it did. And right. you know we had a live game, so someone yeah. took a picture and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, so it all got out basically, and all the other boys that have been interviewed they hadn't got out. Right. So you think that imp- imp- impacted on you? May have, may have, but then. We had an FA Cup replay, uh, which was the week that the FA was having the first round of interviews. Right. So I couldn't go on it. Right, okay. Uh, so That seems crazy. Yeah, I, I just couldn't go yeah. because, you know, we had a game and the chairman didn't want me to go and et cetera, which is fine. So I had a more of an informal, I think the boys went to give a presentation, the more I hear about it, you know, an in-depth thing. And yeah. I got the feeling when I had uh, the second meeting, their minds were made up, basically. And I gave the job to Steve McLaren, who had been working with Sven. Yeah. So I understood that. Yeah. As well. Um, but that sort of episode, sort of, that was near the end of the season. And uh, that put a little thing in myself and Charlton at the time. I had a year left of the con- my contract. It had got out about England and everything else. And Richard Murray at the time, the chairman, wanted me to sign a new three year deal. Mm. I'd, I'd been there. As you said before, fifteen years. Yeah, and, you know, I I didn't want to sign a longer contract. I was happy to do the final year, and and I could understand the club's position that that if I was trying to sign players that summer and putting them on three or four year contracts, mm. then I might not be around that long. Yeah, um, which I don't think bothers players now, but it might have done then. Yeah. You know, uh, so I understood the club side of the argument, and the more we discussed it, it it became. The situation. That's why I left. Yeah. Um, At that point, did you think? I mean, did you first of all do you think you'd have done a good job as an England manager? And how badly did you want the job? I didn't think I was ready for it. Right. Um, but you felt like you couldn't turn it down. No. Like Steve, basically, like Steve yeah, McLaren. Yeah, basically. I didn't think I was ready for it. Yeah. I think that you have to. No, I don't think be a certain age. I don't think that. I mm. think, but you have to have a lot more experience. Right. And the big difference is <clears throat> for me is that. You're not exactly, you know, you're not you're not buying players and selling players and bringing them in and whatever. You don't get to spend as much time on them either. <clears throat> no. Yeah. But the players that you pick to come into that squad, you expect them to turn up full of enthusiasm. Yeah. Because, you know, you walk into your club 
on a Monday morning, you've got four or five of them a bit fed up because they've been left out and <laughs> okay. want to transfer and, yeah. you know, down tools in training and, and, yeah. and, and whatever. But you don't expect that from an England squad. So I think it was a different mentality what you had. Um, but I also felt it was more experienced manager. Uh, I mean, I think they went with Steve and I endorsed that completely because he'd been involved. Mm. I mean, he'd been involved at Man United with Alex and etc. Yeah. with all the big players and a lot of them was, was going to be in the squad. So I understood that. But uh, I don't think, uh, no, no, I don't think I was ready for that. But you you would have taken it? Oh, yeah. You if, it to, been, yeah. if it had been offered. Yeah. What do you think about the way Stephen Fan was treated? Par for the course, I think. Because on know. the from, I mean, it can be a bit, obviously it was very unfair and I imagine I was part of the media sort of taking the rise out of him or whatever. But as a manager yourself, you presumably you feel that You've seen it quite way, keenly. You've yeah. seen it all the way through Graham Taylor. Yeah. I had a lot of time for Graham, <coughs> etc. Even Bobby Robson, and yeah. you know, in the end, if if you're not, what did that manager say to me? You got to win games, yeah. And if you're not winning games, then you know it's coming your way. Not just if you're the England coach, but club coach as well. Yeah. You know? When you when you start reading about a club manager where an insider says, yeah, that's when that manager's in a little bit of trouble, right? Think. Yeah, and uh, you know, it, it's 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 par for the course, and and, and as managers, you accept it. You just accept it. You've got to get on you don't with like it. it, but you accept it. Just get, you got to get on with it. It's part, part and part and parcel of the game. Any any regrets? Anything you've done differently in your career? Anything you think you could have done better with? Um, no, I've been quite lucky that every decision I've made as a as a player and as a manager, uh, it's been my decision. Yeah, and that's I'm all not, you can ask for, really. Yeah, and uh, not really been influenced too much. Uh, but if I've got a regret, yeah, leaving West Ham. Yeah, okay. Both as a player, a little bit. Because, as I said, I was a little bit headstrong. Yeah. You know, 19, 20, played nearly 100 games and thought I should have been a regular at the time. And perhaps if I'd have stayed, I would have been. Mm. You know, Alvin Martin was, and Jeff Pike, that we all grew up, Paul Brush, we all grew up together. Um, and they managed to get in the side and stay mm. there. Um, and leaving, leaving the club as a manager because I thought that, uh, you know, we stayed up that year. Uh, my first six months the second season we come 10th and then the next season as I say we was in the top five but I had a decent side mm. you know I left a decent side okay Gianfranco Zola went in and he finished ninth in the end but that was my team yeah that the, it took me two years to to get a few of my players in there get get my attitude across etc and uh that's the big regret. The, the, but but your left. principles at the time were, were very important to you and you felt like it was the only thing you could do. I'll go back to the one thing that all managers must, must you know, uh, it's, 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 it's got to be the written rule. That, that you know, if, if you go into a football club in charge of recruitment, then you're in charge of recruitment and you live and die by your signings and, and what happens on the pitch. Hmm. If you go into a club as a head coach, and someone else is bringing them signings in, and you go in there under that sure. situation, mm. then you've got no complaints. And mm. I, I often see managers complaining, certainly at the big clubs, you know, well, you know, I'm I'm not in control of signings. Well, that's what you signed up for. Yeah. So I don't you understand what you're saying. What you're <laughs> yeah. saying. yeah. Uh, but it, it wasn't what I signed up for. And, uh, you know, if a, if a job would have come along a couple of years afterwards, and it was made clear to me that you're not involved in that side of it, you're just the coach which I know happens at a few sure. clubs or quite a few clubs, then I'll, I would have accepted that. Mm. But um, I think because it was, you know, my boyhood club and, you know, brought up in the area, it meant a bit more to me that, that if I'm in charge of this club, then I've got to be totally con- in control. So Not you, everything. you felt like you couldn't make any other decision in that situation? No. And, uh, yeah. you know, it, it, it was disappointing because, as I say, I could have gone to... a Perhaps uh, could have gone there on a previous occasion mm. and, and had stayed stayed at Charlton um, because I didn't think I was ready. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then the opportunity came along and uh, I felt I was ready, but, uh, you know, it's history now. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've got over the disappointment, yeah. <laughs> disappointment at yeah. all, but uh, when I think back at it um, and I see what's happening with the club now and I see what's happening with my, my old club, Charlton, mm. You know, swing highs and lows, swings around. Yeah. And finally, Alan, because you've been very generous with your time, but just quickly before you go, I mean, you've seen a lot of players, you've managed a lot of players, you've managed teams against a lot of great players. Who, who's who's the who's the finest, best player you think you've you've seen in your, all your years? Um, 
there's so many in in, in terms. You know, I've I've spoke about the great Liverpool side. Yeah, seventies and eighties. You know, the, and I'm not being disrespectful here, but the spine of Clements, Hanson, Souness, mm. Dalglish, and Rush. Yeah, you know, playing against that. Yeah, uh, and then you then you you know some of the players I play against, like the World Cup players, like Alan Ball, people like that. Yeah. Different class, um, managing and against that great Man United team, the treble team. Yeah. You know, when you think about the players, Ronaldo, at the time, uh, 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 um, Giggs and Beckham yeah. and them yeah. sort of players. But I think the player for me that probably has graced the Premier League uh, since I've been involved in it as, as a manager is Omri. Yeah, I think Omri. I think. Because you couldn't deal with him. No, I don't think many people could. Mm. You couldn't make a plan for him at all. No, and he had the ammunition. You know, he had Vieira and Petit behind him. He had yeah. Lundberg and Perez either yeah. side. He had Burkamp around him. He had a lot to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> but he frightened the life out of you. Yeah, and, and and a lot of players did. But I just think Thierry Henry, uh, whenever he picked the ball up, uh, you know, when when I was managing, you know, you thought, oh, you know, yeah, something's going to happen here, yeah. especially <laughs> yeah. in the final third, but. I think we've been, you know, graced by so many great players and we will be. Mm. I just uh, hope that the Premier League, um, there's a responsibility to bring players through, mm. some of these young players. Mm. And uh, I just hope they get a chance. But, you know, uh, if you're a top six manager, the expectation levels is you've got to be in that top six or better. So that has an influence on team sure. selection. And if you're a bottom six manager... Where'd you go? Do you put a youngster in or do you stick with experience tough, because, it? because season, of the yeah. responsibilities of of staying in the league? You know, so I just hope that there's managers out there. The one manager I look at and I've got a lot of time for is Pochettino because mm. at the moment he puts kids in if they're good enough, mm. you know, and uh, he's not afraid to do it. Very, very, very finally, um, this is absolutely my last question. What do you think in your experience makes a very top world-class player? Well, I think the first thing is pace. I don't yeah. think any player now, um, uh, if you've not got the the pace, you're not going to be a top top player. Mm. Uh, is it a mentality that you've witnessed though as well? Like a- yeah, because you just can't, you can't. It, you know, it's the game is so quick now, and it, and the Premier League is counter attacking league. Mm. That uh, I mean, I just look at that Man City side, mm. and, I've, and I've and I've said this on a few occasions. If Man City turn up for a Premier League game on a Saturday. And the referee said, look, we're not going to have a football match. Um, what we're going to do, we're going to have a race. Yeah. The goalkeeper's going to race the goalkeeper. The right back's going to race the right back. I think Man City might, might win most of them races. Yeah. And that's a big part of it. That's the big part of it. And uh, uh, the opposition at the moment against Man City and Liverpool have a job on their hands because of their pace. Mm. And that is the biggest difference. And that is what every top player uh, has to have. Alan, thank you very much for your time. It's been great. Okay, thank you. This was a Stakhanov production. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.